You're listening to a message from Southview Church, located right outside of Nashville and Spring Hill, Tennessee. Now here's our featured sermon of the week. Well, I want to share with you a new series title that we're starting today for the next three weeks. It's called The Cataclysmic Kingdom. Once you turn to somebody and say, Cataclysmic. Many of you, I'm teaching you new words here. This is the kind of pastor I am, bringing you education as well. How many know that we live in a strange time? Is that the understatement of the year? Can I share with you what cataclysmic means in the definition? It means this. I'm going to do it anyway. Any violent upheaval, especially one of social or political nature. It's a physical geography, a sudden and physical and violent physical action producing change in the earth's surface. It's an extensive flood of deluge. This is how we feel today in our nation. If you don't feel this, I'm not sure you're checked into what's going on, but it feels like there is a violent upheaval in our nation. And so today I want to talk to you about this and I want to equip you. And I want to talk to you over the next couple of weeks about stories in the Old Testament and how we can apply them today in 2023. Listen, if you've been in church long enough, you know this, the church is prone to drama. Can we all say amen to that? Any people that have been in church longer than 14 years, raise your hand. You're used to drama, right? How many know that when you say, hey, can I pray for you? You really just want to know the gossip. (laughs) Nobody really prays. That's just truth. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Everybody hates prayer now. Okay. The point is there are people in the church today that really just want to know things. And we're, we, we, we thrive off of drama. Why did they leave the church? Where are they going? What's happening? What's going on, Pastor Mark and Leanne? Why is she not sitting next to them? What's happening? We're always looking at the thing. And see, the church has a tendency historically to be fascinated with drama and end time things. And we miss moves of God that are happening right underneath us. And so I want to give you some examples over the next few weeks, but today I want to speak to you about something that happened 23 years ago called Y2K. Anybody remember Y2K? Anybody too young to remember that? You weren't born. Don't raise your hand. I don't want to acknowledge you. (laughs) Too young. I thought about that. It just seems like it was yesterday. Y2K. Do you remember 1999? Anybody party like it was 1999? Anybody still partying like us? Kelly, thank you for raising. You're not, you stopped partying? Okay, the back, Liz did. Okay, why are we going here? Let me come back. 1999 was an interesting year because the whole year we were in dread of January 1st, 2000. We were told that our computers, because they deal with zeros and ones, they would not be able to handle the date of 2000. So everything was going to crash. I don't know if you know this, but Pretty much computers run everything right now. Yes, that's where the matrix came from. That's where we're headed. Anyway, I digress. I won't go there. I feel myself drifting off into a side project. But here's the deal. Many of us, and some of you in this room, you won't confess it, but you did. You stockpiled things in the basement, right? We had an uncle who was, had money. He had a generator. He had loads of canned food, way more water filtration systems than any person could ever use in his basement. And to this day, he's still eating beans from 23 years ago, <laughs> cracking them open. They're still good. I remember this as if it was yesterday because I remember being at Leanne's. Do you remember your aunt and uncle's house? We were there celebrating New Year's and we were like kind of, there was a tension. Do you remember this? There was a tension in the air because when this clock shifts over, all hell's going to break loose. We're not sure what's going to happen. You know, my dad worked in IT. I was like hoping that he did the right thing. 
you know, like prepare computers, right? So here we are, the clock's ticking down, five, four, three, two, one, the power in the whole house goes out. I said, dear God, it happened, we are doomed. Little did I know, Leanne's cousin was in the garage and shut off the power to the whole house. I may have peed my pants a little bit, just a little bit. Kids, don't pee your pants. The only reason why I knew it is because I looked out the window. I said, why are the street lights on? And why are people's lights on? He came in laughing. We beat him to this day. He can't walk straight. But the point of it all is, this is the kind of drama we live in, don't we, as the church? Let me give you some more examples for those of you OGs in this room that have been around a long time. If you follow Hal Lindsey, I don't know if you know that name. Uh, okay. <laughs> I will just stop here then, I guess. You probably changed the end of the world date in your calendar several times. He wrote The Late Great Planet Earth. Anybody buy that book? Um, my dad did, thanks. Of course he did. Of course he did. It was a best-selling nonfiction book of the 1970s, predicted the world would end sometime before December 31st, 1988. He cited world events like nuclear war, the communist threat, and the restoration of Israel, by the way, all that stuff's still going on here, uh, as reasons that the end times were upon mankind. His later books, <laughs> though less specific, suggested that believers not plan on being on the earth past the 1980s, then it was the 1990s, then it was 2000, but Lindsay did more than just wrongly predict the end of days. He's popularized a whole genre of end time prophecy books. Adding to the stock of Lindsay's original claim, there was an Edgar Wisenhunt who published a book in 1988 called 88, did you have this one, Dad? 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will End in 1988. You, did you have that? Okay, that one, you finally stopped. It sold 4.5 million books. Somebody had it. Edgar once famously said, this is what he said, he said, only if the Bible is an error am I wrong. When 1989 rolled around, a discredited Lindsay public, Edward published another book saying the rapture would occur that year instead. It did not sell as well, nor did later titles that predicted the world would end in 1993 and 1994. We as the church keep falling into the trap. And Jesus was very clear about this in Matthew 24. He spoke about this. In fact, he says this. He says, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. Here are some blood wounds. I added that part there. Some of you are still vested in gold. They will lead many astray. And you will hear wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nations will rise against nations, kingdom against kingdoms. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Birthing pains, I know this. Historically, I'm a very uh, educated in birthing pains. They can happen months before the baby arrives. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. I remember thinking as a kid, you know, all these wars, these earthquakes, this is all a sign. God's coming back. And Jesus clearly makes it known that this is just the beginning of birth pains. But see, we can tell this is, a, this is not an astute observation. This is just basic information. We are closer to the end than we've ever been before. 
Back in the 1960s, some of you caught that. Back in the, that's a safe prophetic word for those of you wondering. Back in the 1960s, there was a radical shift. Those of you that lived in the 1960s, uh, psychologist David Myers said, if you fell asleep in the 1960s and woke up 40 years later in the 2000s, you would see a major shift in our nation. Divorce rate doubled. Teen suicide tripled. Reported violent crimes times four. Population in prison grew five times. Children born out of wedlock six times as more. And people living together out of wedlock over seven times in 40 years. In the 60s, the fascination of sex, drugs, and rock and roll grew. People started tapping into Eastern religion, and there was really a dissatisfaction with the government and the war that was going on. On the same front, young people began asking spiritual questions. They were shaken by the assassination of JFK, Martin Luther King Jr., and RFK in 1963 and in 1968, and the war in Vietnam caused the generation to start asking questions like, what's the purpose and meaning of life? Now listen to me. The church at large, they saw the sign, and they saw the sin, and they began talking about, let's just get raptured and leave this earth and get out of here. They missed the moment that God had for his church and the redemption movement known as the Jesus movement as documented in this movie, The Jesus Revolution. The church should have directed themselves to Jesus instead of preparing to go home. Only a small amount of churches saw the harvest. Now, this holds true today. America isn't, listen, it isn't the leader in the world like we thought it was. We are finding our nation more divided than ever before. We cannot church miss this moment. So today, all of that was a precursor to the title of my message. We, today, we're titling it Discerning the Days in our Cataclysmic Kingdom. How do we discern the days? My main scripture today, before I give it to you, is based out of 1 Chronicles 12. And this is actually a documentation of the mighty men joining David. It's a list of the 12 tribes. And one of the tribes stands out to me. It's the tribe of Issachar. And in verse 32, it says, Issachar, men. These are men that are rallying around David. They rallied around David. They are men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. 200 chiefs and all their kinsmen under their command. Who are the tribe, or who is the tribe of Issachar? Issachar's mother was Leah. Some of you know the story, Leah. And Rachel were married to Jacob. You remember this story? Leah was known as having weak eyes. That was a nice way of saying she was a fun to be around, but not necessarily a good looker. After she gave birth to her fourth son, Judah, I hope that kid's name isn't Leah. That's why they're crying. She gave birth to her son, Judah. Leah stopped having children and was presumed to be barren. Now, one day, her oldest son, Reuben, came across some mandrakes. That's the rapper, but more manly, in the field. In folk medicine, they're coming, they're coming quick. You got to keep going. In folk medicine, these flowering herbs were thought to enhance a woman's fertility. Reuben picked the mandrakes and brought them to his mother, Leah, and her younger sister, Rachel, argued over the mandrakes, but finally came to an agreement. Leah would give Rachel some of the mandrakes as a reward or payment for allowing Leah to sleep with her husband, Jacob. <laughs> you got to love the Bible. That night, Leah became pregnant and later gave Jacob her fifth son or ninth child, and his name was Issachar. He was one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And these people were known to keep the lunar calendar. So they had understanding of chronological times. They understood planning and harvesting, and they relied on the lunar calendar. They were an asset to the tribes of Israel. 
Now, why am I saying this? What does the tribe of Israel have to do with me in discerning the times? Because I think it's very interesting that in one verse, we can deduct a lot of information that I believe the church needs today. It says that they understood the times. That means they had discernment. They didn't just see the times, they actually understood them. They knew what the nation should do. They had wisdom to be bold and courageous. How many know we need that in our nation today? They were leaders together, 200 chiefs. They were unified together. And some people believe at this moment when these nations gathered together, these, these tribes, that they probably had over 87,000 warriors in the tribe of Issachar. They were with their family. That means they were generational. And I love this because all of this comes together. And I believe this is one of the greatest tools that David had at his arsenal and disposal. Because I want to tell you something. You may have all the weapons in the world, but if you don't have discernment or wisdom on how to use it, you will fail every time. In fact, what we realize today in society, it's not necessarily the largest armies. It's the one who has the information, the intel to know what to do. So I want to say this to you today. Discernment with today's issues starts with studying God's past solutions. And so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to give you nine hot button topics in our nation today. Things that every one of us in this room can agree. These are hot button topics. Many people in the nation are disagreeing over them. We're fighting over them. Some of you live in fear of these. But I want to give you nine topics. And I want to show you that these are not new to us today. Because many of us, we look at the news and we think, oh my God, we're going to hell in a handbasket. Things are happening. Never happened before. It's not true. We don't know history. We know our word. In fact, Ecclesiastes 1.9 says, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. The music you're listening to today is just the 90s played again. <laughs> nothing new under the sun. Let's jump in. Number one, hot button topic of today is this fluid and deviant sexual activity all rampant throughout our nation. We just came out of the pride month. We were force fed everywhere we went. That this is what you need to come to acceptance. I want you to know that this is not something that I disagree with. It's something biblical. And you actually have to study hard to prove it the otherwise. You actually can't reconcile Scripture by trying to find it approved in Scripture. It's in the New Testament and the Old Testament, by the way. But it all started, from what I can tell, some of the first remnants of this was in Genesis 19. There was a man named Lot living in a town called Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah so evil that God said, I'm going to destroy it. And there was this kind of bargaining going on. If we could find just a few people that love God, I won't destroy it. Couldn't find that many people. But it says in verse four, it says, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded Lot's house. And they cried out to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so we can have sex with them. By the way, let me just in, let you know, those two men that they're talking about were angels. These people were so filled with evil that they just wanted to have sex with whoever was new in town. Now, in Genesis 19, if you go further, Lot's daughters actually get him drunk to have sex with him so they can get pregnant. Some of you are like, is this really in the Bible? You can read it. Some of you are like, are we really talking about this right now? We are. <laughs> what does this mean? Let me tell you that this is not new under the sun. These kind of deviant, weird kind of things that we're seeing in the world today has been going on since the beginning of time. 
In fact, in Leviticus 18, there's a whole part, a chapter, God talks about unlawful sexual relations. And I want to say this to you today, whether it's sex trafficking or the LGBTQ movement, whatever it is, sexual depravity has always been the antithesis of God's design creation. There are no exceptions. Are we ready to go even some more? Number two, abortion. Here we go. There's a saying that keeps creeping out in society. It says, we're coming for your children. Boy, is that not, now they're telling you exactly what they were planning for a long time. Abortion is designed to destroy the seed. Now, let me just say to you, it started even back in the old days and Israel fell into this in Leviticus 18. God says to them, you shall not give any of your offspring to offer them to Molech, nor shall you profane the name of your God, I am Lord. Israel was literally handing over their live babies to a statue, a God of Molech, to burn them while they were alive. Babies crying out and screaming while they're burning as an offering to a foreign God. You don't think that still happens today? That's what abortion is, destroying the seed. The devil has always been after the children, the seed. There's always been an idea that the children will be a payment for the sins of their parents. Let's keep going. Destruction of marriage in the family unit. You think your marriage is under attack? You're right. Started, it was the, one of the first things the devil did in Genesis 2 and 3. Adam and Eve, what did he do? He tried to separate them. Adam says, hey, it's, your wife. it's this woman you gave me. The woman's like, I don't know who to blame. Here's a snake. It's just this constant battle between each other. See, there's something so powerful in a marriage between a husband and wife that the devil's very first attack on the kingdom was to create mistrust, blame, and separation between them. For some of you, you've had a horrible upbringing in your family because the enemy wants to destroy the family through your eyes. What I've seen, you'll never identify with God the Father if you've had a horrible, abusive father. It's a designed attack against marriage and family. How about political power? Some of us wonder, why are we so divided as a nation? We've always been divided. God created government, but man created politics. Let me explain to you in 1 Samuel 8, the Lord speaking to the prophet Samuel. And I want you to know that Israel was crying out to Samuel as the prophet. He said, we want a king like everybody else. We want to look like every other nation. We're tired of these judges. We're tired of prophets. We want a king. So God then says, listen to all the people. What they're saying to you, it's not you they've rejected, but they have rejected me, God, as their king. As they've done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaken me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen, verse 9, to them. But warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his right. God in 1 Samuel said, you're going to get a king, but he's going to claim some things as his right over you. The earthly rule must never be higher than the kingdom rule. In fact, Jesus stands before Pilate, and one of the phrases he says is, my kingdom is not of this world. That's why we have so much division in the political sphere. How about racial division? I trace this back to Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. Some of you know the story of Tower of Babel. All these people come together. They're all speaking one language. They're finally building something, but they're building it out of pride. Let's make a name for ourselves. We're going to build a tower so we can be like God. And God said, no, 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 no. We're not going to unify around this pride thing. And he, so he breaks up the party. But God says something very, in, very intentional and very poignant. He says, because they're unified, nothing will be impossible for them. 
This, this, this kind of division that takes place at the Tower of Babel over sin then permeates even through the New Testament when we see these new converts, these Jews coming to fall in love with Jesus and they get all bent out of shape because the Gentiles are also coming to know Jesus. So there's this division and Peter and Paul begin to bicker. Finally, God has to reveal himself to Peter and say, no, 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 they're all my children. So what we're seeing in our nation today was going on since the beginning of time. Man's pride create, created division, which the devil used to reduce the power of God's kingdom. How about this deconstruction of faith? Second Peter. Peter says this, we did not follow cleverly designed and devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Verse 20, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Humanity continues to try to create their own desires of God, Jesus, and spirituality to help make their sin and decisions palatable to their conscience. If I can make God something that fits in my box, then I can feel okay with being in that box. How about depression and suicide? Did you know that most of Psalms is David writing about his depression, writing about his anxiousness? He's lonely. He feels, he feels like he's isolated. If you ever feel that way, if you're ever in a depressive state, know this, that that's a season. In fact, Psalms 42, this is what he says. He says, why are you so downcast, my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. He begins to speak to his soul. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Listen to me. We have created a social norm to something Jesus has worked hard to alleviate. What has be, can be a season of time? What does it say in Ecclesiastes 3? There's a time to weep. There's a time to rejoice. You can go through loneliness. You can have a state of depression. But that season of time has now become a permanent identity. They say that this generation coming up is the most depressed generation. I break that off of you. I'm going to live in that. You may go through a time where you feel alone. But do not camp in that valley. Go through the valley. Drug addiction, whether it's cocaine or alcohol, painkillers or weed, whatever it is, Galatians 5 is very clear. Paul says to the church of Galatia, he says, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, and sorcery. Now we think of like Gargamel in the basement mixing up a potion to make Smurfs or something, but that's not what it is. You know what sorcery in the Greek is? It's pharmakia, which means the use or administration of drugs. So Paul says, when you begin to use drugs, this is the works of the flesh. I'll say it this way. Anything that takes you over, drugs or even alcohol, is a form of witchcraft. Yet we celebrate it as having a good time. This good time leads to a lifetime of broken relationships, sickness and disease in our bodies, and generational issues. This last of the nine is satanic popularity. Some of you going, man, the devil is getting airtime like never before. He's on the Grammys. He's everywhere. They're celebrating him. The, even the people in the satanic cult are coming out as good people. We don't even believe in Satan. We're just good people. That's what they say. I mean, Satan is in your title of your thing. But here's what I want you to know. This has gone on for a long time. In fact, Exodus 32, Israel gets tired of waiting for Moses up in a mountain so they say, hey, Aaron, why don't we build a golden calf? We're going to worship something else. We are becoming so numb to the demonic in order to one day freely worship the very thing we once feared. It's in our movies. 
It's in our songs. It's not even hidden. They wrote a whole series called Lucifer. I wonder what that's about. It's in the title. And we, I, I literally see, sit back and watch people enjoying this and then wondering why they have nightmares going to sleep. Wondering why their kids are running around the house going, I can't sleep. I'm being tormented. Parents, what you break into your house will come after your children. And I want you to know that not only that the church is falling asleep, but God is now raising up people in the media and entertainment and Hollywood to finally voice an alarm and say something isn't right. In just one moment, I'm going to share a clip with you of a man named Tyrese. Anybody know Tyrese, the actor, singer? One of the greatest franchises in history, The Fast and the Furious. Why are you guys laughing? It's completely plausible that a high-end car can go from one skyscraper to another. Some of you are like, I never watched it. You got a lot to watch. There's 10 of them. The thing I love about Tyrese, he's come to know Jesus, and he was on a radio show recently, and he had this to say about what's going on in Hollywood right now. I want you to hear this. As much as I'm supposed to be promoting this movie and talking about my album, I just feel like we're in competition right now because they are trying to normalize the devil. They are trying to populate. The devil is, is on the main stage at award shows and in every video and yeah, signs and symbols. And I said, you know what? We need to stop treating our relationship with Jesus like the little buddy that you talk to before you go to bed at night and not be more vocal about all the things that God means to us and all of the things that God has brought us through. Because there's been a lot of moments that you didn't post about, but yet you know, how did God decide to get me through this? Yeah, man. And... Yeah, they going above and beyond to promote the devil. And it's pissing me off. Because they, they, they used to, devil worshipers used to be real secretive. Oh, like yeah. Going down in the basement, this yeah, secret man. world. Now they just Now like, they on the device, too. Yeah, Believe that. Nominal Christians may be the biggest enemy of the church today. It's people that live life, claim themselves to be a Christian, yet they continue to operate in the kingdom of this world. Now listen, the reason why I'm preaching this message in these next few weeks is because I want the world to wake up. I want the church to wake up. Second Timothy says this, but understand this, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self. Just pause for a moment. That's social media. How many likes did I get? It's become normal now. In fact, you don't feel validated unless you have more likes or more views or people shared the thing that you posted. This is where we live. That's just number one. They'll become lovers of money. They'll become proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Man, that hit home right there. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpleasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Do you know what he's saying here? Is he saying they will look like Christians. They will be in the church. They will quote the scriptures. They'll wear the shirts. They'll go to the events. But inwardly, they are full of darkness. 
Jesus called them out, the Pharisees, and said, you're whitewashed tombs. You look really good on the outside, but you're full of death. This is the church today. The church has slowly faded into the very thing Paul wrote about and warned us about. That's why when we live in a cataclysmic kingdom where it feels like everything is shaking, you have to have discernment. You gotta know what is God saying. So now, before we leave here today, I'm gonna give you six ways to discern the days that we're living in. Not six reasons why the world is going to end in six days, but six ways to discern the days. Number one, you got to know the word. Simple. You got to know the word. You can't discern truth if you don't know it. I'm not talking about quoting scripture out of context, putting some kind of, some kind of scripture reference on your arm that doesn't even really mean what you thought it meant. I'm talking about really knowing the word. like no. And listen, I'm not asking you to go through the Bible in a year and get through the, I'm actually saying, Holy Spirit, direct my time. If you sit on one verse for 40 days and you marinate on that, that is what scripture says here. It says, John 8, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. We have a church that thinks they're disciples but don't know how to abide in the word. It says you will know the truth and what? The truth will what? Set you free. I'm so tired of people looking at their sin, figuring out how am I going to be set free? Look at the word. The word sets you free. Get to know what God says about you. Get to know what his word says, that you are more than victorious. You are ahead and not to tell. Listen, there's a stat. Gen Z. Born 1997 to 2012. Put your hand up if you're a Gen Zer. I know they're here. Then raise your hand high. I want you to know this. This is what's being said about you. Listen to me. This is being said that you're the most biblically illiterate generation in history. So the challenge to you, Gen Zers, is to know your word and shift that stat. To know the word, quote the word. I believe very strongly, I'm raising a hundred of them in my home, that this generation... This generation has the antidote to what makes us sick. There's something that's going to unlock in you. So you got to know the word. We have become, the church has become tolerant of sin. We lack intimacy with Jesus and we become biblically illiterate. And we can change that. We got to know the word. Number one, you want to discern how to live in a cataclysmic kingdom. You got to know the word. Number two, you got to know the heart of God. You got to know his heart about all those people that we just talked about that are struggling with all those things. It's not easy. God's word does not say to write off the lost. I want you to know that. Some of you say, well, I'm just going to get out of the world. I'm going to pull everything out of the world. I'm just going to live in my little compound. I'm going to grow vegetables. I'm not going to talk to anybody. I'm not going to get a mail. I'm going to delete my social security. I'm just going to hide out until God comes. You're laughing, but that's somebody in this room. And the reality is, is you are in the world. You're not of the world, but you have a job to do. You have been sent. You have been sent to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. You are a change agent for a kingdom that does not bow its knee to the kingdom of this world. So you need to know the heart of God. Second Peter says this, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. I want you to know that because the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Look at this, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that we should all reach repentance. When you look at people, that are far from God, do you look at them like there's no hope for them? 
Or do you look at them and say, they're just one encounter away from Jesus? That's all. They just need an encounter with Jesus. If they could get in Jesus' presence, something will shift in their mind. Something will change in them. And I'm telling you, Matthew 9.36 says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I'm telling you today, we are on the, on the precipice of another Jesus revolution. I really believe it. And you know how it's going to come? Through the people you never thought would ever carry a revival in their hearts. A couple months ago, I was in a BOMA meeting in Franklin. We were, there was a tension in this BOMA meeting because they were deciding about a gay festival in Franklin in the month of June. It already took place. But I sat there and watched as Christians and LGBTQ, one after another, just spewed off for a minute. You had a minute on the microphone to share your thoughts. Talk about tension. And I sat there, and listen, I don't second guess what God's word says. Like I said before, you have to actually distort the word to believe that that lifestyle is the way God created them. I just want you to know that. But my heart burned with a, a compassion for them because I heard them say, listen, where there's, as the Christians were talking, I heard them come up and they said, we're the evil people you guys talk about. We're the ones that are going to go to hell. All you Christians that say we're going to go to hell, we'll throw rocks from hell and try to hit you with one of them. You say, well, they're evil. No, no, they're broken. They're hurting. And I realized in that moment, I said, Jesus, please give me your heart for this community. I'm going to prophesy this. Some of you know I, heard, I said this before, but I believe that the LGBTQ community is prime for revival. They are, they are the hippies of this day. I'm telling you. If we just write them off and just say, ah, get away from me. I'm going to miss an opportunity to activate what God wants to speak life over. Some of you in this room, you have loved ones that are struggling. You don't give up, but you love them. Do not compromise truth because I said the truth will set them free. Number three, we got to value and discern the prophetic word of Holy Spirit. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians. He says, do not question the spirit. This is his benediction. He said, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Do you know there's churches today that say God doesn't speak prophetically? He doesn't do that. If you're in that church, you got to run from that church. God's speaking more than ever like he's never spoke before. I'm telling you why. Because he wants his people to hear his voice. He spoke in the written, the logos, and he's speaking in the spoken, the rhema. And you need to get around people that are hearing from the Lord. And if you don't hear from the Lord, ask him. Say, God, I need to hear from you. I need a word from the Holy Spirit concerning these times. Every one of us in this room should be praying, God, show me something for the times I'm living in. Give me a word from my city. Give me a word from my town. Give me a word from my school. Give me a word from my home. Moms, dad, are you praying for a word for your kids? We need to value and discern the prophetic word. And I believe this, that God wants to raise up modern day sons and daughters of Issachar where you will know the times, you will hear from the Lord and you'll know what to do. I know what to do. I have a, do you know that God has solutions for everything that's going on right now? Jesus is not on the throne going, man, I didn't think about that. Woo, devil threw me a curveball. Didn't see that coming. No, he has solutions. He's waiting for you to ask. God, I need wisdom. Number five, Number four, sorry, I'm jumping ahead. Study and watch what's happening. 
The sons of Issachar, one of their greatest strengths, their greatest value to King David was they understood the times and they knew what to do. Some of you, you understand what's going on, but God now needs to show you what to do. And so I'll give you some examples of this. I make it a habit of reading a magazine that wrecks me every time called Voice of the Martyrs. Anybody read that magazine, Voice of the Martyrs? If you don't, I would highly recommend you subscribe to it because it's a detailed stories of people living in persecuted nations. And I read the latest issue, and no lie, every story, the wife, her husband was beheaded, her kids were raped in front of her, but she's still preaching Jesus. And I read these stories and I go, God, do I have the wherewithal like they do to stand up to evil at the risk of losing my life? Here's the deal. We have to be reminded that what we live in Williamson County, our biggest issue is it's too cold at the church. There's too much. Those of you laughing, that's, that's the ones that are laughing. Bring a sweater, okay? What's wrong with people like that? Haters. They're haters of heat. Haters of cold. Anyway, the point is I'm digressing. We're living in Williamson County. We complain about things that we should not complain about. Meanwhile, when you read stuff like this, you realize we're in a battle and I need to be praying for my brothers and sisters all over the globe because if they live in Iran, which by the way, the fastest growing church is in Iran, the most persecuted area in the world. You think that's not a quinky dink? That is truth. It's coincidence. Okay, I know I made a joke. Missions trips. Some of you need to get your butt on a missions trip. You need to get your butt out of Williamson County and you need to go somewhere where God's doing something and where you actually have to sweat and toil and get to know what God's doing in another country. Some of us need firsthand information, not fake news information, not CNN, Fox News. You need to get to know what God's doing by the people that are in the places that you're praying for. And I'll say this, if this isn't your church, this is the kind of church you should be looking for. Get plugged into a church with a global worldview and a local community connection. That's what we're making Southview, where we see what God's doing across the globe, but we're connected to what he's doing right here in our town. Number five, got to divorce yourself from the patterns of this earthly kingdom. This is a tough one. I'm going to land on this just for a little bit because here's the deal. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, you are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You got to live like that. You got to live differently. When you show up at a party, people should go, what's going on with you? When you show up at a family event, people should come to you and go, there's something about you that's different. When you talk, your speech should be different. When you, when you respond to, to, to trials, that your, your response should be different. You are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. People of his own, you've been grafted into this. Many of us in the church today, we live just like the world. We think I got to get out of hell free card and I'm good. I could just, if I could ride this thing out, just have as much fun as possible. You have a job to do. You are to be a representative of the kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven. Release the kingdom through who you are. We as the church have become so desperate for help that we've allowed people and organizations to lead us instead of the kingdom. For some of us in this room, your greatest hope is next November's election cycle. 
if I could just get somebody else. That's where your hope lies. That's a, that's a, a kingdom under the king. The king rules above it all. I, I want you to know this, that it's not the person who's the president making the decisions. It's principalities and powers and rulers, things that you don't see. So what you think, I'm not saying don't vote, don't quote. I'm not saying you got to vote. We should pray for our government. But what I'm saying is many of you, that's your hope. In 2020, remember 2020? 2020, California is still locked down, I think. No, I'm just kidding. That was a bad joke. I didn't mean to say that. It's just Tennessee's better at it. But the point of it all is, that's why they're here. I'm just kidding again. I, I'm glad you're there. Somebody's got to be there. It's got good weather. 2020 was hell, right? Because we've seen something released on the globe. And in the midst of a pandemic, all of a sudden we're dealing with racial tension. A man that all of us know now, George Floyd, was murdered on the street. People real-time videoing it. You saw it. You're watching this and you're thinking, I'm literally watching a man die, lose his last breath. And this sparked all sorts of rage and all sorts of debates and all sorts of division. And so while we're in the midst of this, the church is scrambling. What do we do? How do we provide help? What do we do? And all of a sudden, an organization is created out of a statement that we all would agree on. Black lives matter. But the reality is, is the organization who, if you read all the properties and ingredients of who they are, is very far from God, became a place of tension. Well, I do believe black lives matter, but I don't agree with this organization. And the reality is it's because the world came with a solution because the church didn't know what to do. And if the church would have grabbed a hold of this moment, and I believe we are, where we say, no, 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 not on my watch. The church is called to be diverse. And you know, as your pastor, I work hard. This is my passion to see every tribe, tongue, just like Revelations, where they're around the throne singing together, unified in their diversity. That's what I believe the church should look like. And if the church would rise up, and instead of gravitating towards earthly kingdoms, and organizations, we would begin to believe for solutions. I'm telling you right now, the world will come to the church instead of the church going to the world. These are things we deal with, and I'm trying to enlighten us that we won't fall back into these patterns. Israel kept going back. Let's worship the gods of the people around us. God says, stop doing that. He wrote a cause in his covenant. He said, if my people who are called, if they'll come back, because he knew you're going to keep going away. I believe that same statement, that same covenant holds true today. If my church was called by my name, come on, if we'll come back, we'll humble ourselves, repent, turn away. And he's going to hear, he's going to turn, he's going to hear, and he's going to bless us. And it says in the end times, the wheat and the chaff will grow together. Yes, it's going to get bad, but man, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. My last one, number six, for those of you counting, is ask for wisdom. James 1.5 says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all whom without reproach and it will be given to him. Mm. Almost every day I ask for wisdom. I don't know how to raise 10 kids in this day. Sometimes I tell the Lord, Lord, seriously? These are the days you want me to raise 10 kids? And he tells me, you're raising an army been commissioned. 
there's no way we can do this without the wisdom from heaven. Nobody in this church, including myself, is wise enough to navigate what's coming. People write books about all the things that are going to end. God sits up in heaven. He's the only one that knows. Even Jesus says, is today today? Today? Get the horse ready? Are we going? No one knows the time or the hour. We know the seasons. We can tell. Something feels wrong. It feels worse than ever. But here's the deal. Even if it's not for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years, we can't check out. We have to check in. We have to proclaim the goodness of God. We need supernatural wisdom. You should be crying out to the Lord. Lord, give me wisdom. Show me how to navigate. Show me discernment. Help me to have your heart. Because here's the deal. We need discernment. We need to understand what is God saying? Let me go back to all these nine points because I want to give you, I want to give you hope. If you're dealing with confusion on what your gender is, who you are, if you have loved ones, here's good news. God says before the foundation of the earth, I knew you. Before you were in your mother's womb, I predestined. I knew who you were. He didn't mess up. He didn't mess up. And if you've been abused by family members, if you've gone through a hard, horrible life, God can redeem and he can heal. And I guarantee you he does it because I've seen people come out of it. How about this abortion thing? Some of you in this room, maybe you had an abortion. You feel the guilt and shame. Guess what? God can redeem that and heal that because I know many people that have had it and God has blessed them and healed them and restored them and God can forgive you and you can forgive yourself. The destruction of marriage and, and the family unit, good news. If your marriage is tanking, God can heal it. Even if it's all life supporting, right back into your marriage. He can make you fall in love with your spouse again. You can be intimate and fall in love and believe, Lord, they are the right ones. We, we have a passion for healthy marriages and healthy families. If you're here today and you're believing for one of your kids to come back to God, guess what? There's a story called the prodigal son and it will happen for you too. If you're struggling with our nation, the political climate, good news, God's on the throne. And no matter who becomes our president next year and however this nation looks, because it will get bad, you can mark my words. I'm not a prophet, but I can tell you this. Next year, going to be a tough year. But here's what I will tell you. The king is always on the throne and there is nobody voting him in or voting him out. He rules and reigns with sovereignty and he's my God and I trust him. There's racial division in our nation, but there will not be in this church and there will not be in the church I believe and I see it now and I know people that the church is more diverse than it's ever been before. And what Martin Luther King Jr. said, the most segregated time is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is now changing. Churches are starting to realize the more we look like heaven, the better their services are because we are better together and we will break the spirit of racism over this nation and we will break it off this city. Let's keep going. Destruction of faith. This deconstruction of faith. I believe God's speaking to people that are looking for him. And guess what? Some of us, we do need to go back to our religiosity and actually break it apart and go, that's not God's heart. I believed a lie. I was taught a lie. That's not God's heart. But I'm telling you right now, if you seek him, you will find him. And the truth will set you free. And it's not compromisable. What God's word says is true. And God's going to call these people back. And they're going to find a love in Jesus like they never had before. This depression and suicide, I want to lay on this just a little bit. Because I know there's many people in this room that you're dealing with that. It's real. You need to get help. And I'm telling you, God can use people. He used professionals. 
can use things in your life to help you. But do not, listen to me, do not make that your identity. It is not your identity. You are not doomed to be depressed. You are not called to be anxious. You are, that's not your identity. That's an attack against your identity. And you need to rise up something. If, even if it's just a little piece left in you, rise up that fighter in you and say, no, no, I'm going to keep pursuing like David did. David may have been in a, listen to me, David may have been in a cave, but he came out a king. He had to go in there as a kid. He went in there as a little heart player who was scared, running away from the people that were going after him. But guess what? He came out of that cave with mighty men and he came out knowing who he was. And I believe that even right now, I'm prophesying this over this church right now, that if you're dealing with depression, God's going to use that cave moment you're in to talk to you and tell you who you are. And I break depression off this church right now. I break the, listen, depression, anxiousness, all of these things are leading you to death. Suicide is the end result. But I break that off of you right now. You will live and not die. You will live victorious, not just getting by, not getting up every day and saying, God, please help me, but that you'll find victory in your life. That has to be the solution because God's word is either true or it's a lie. And if he says that you are called to be free, who the son sets free is free indeed. And I looked it up in the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic and none of it says it's contingent on anything but him. This last, this drug addiction, guess what? God breaks it off of people. I've seen people come and come to know Jesus and addictions go, never to return again. And some of you say, well, I still struggle with it. Well, God will give you victory over it. I believe it for you. The devil wants to kill you. He's introduced this drug called fentanyl that killing people all over. These things should make you angry as a Christian. It should draw us to a presence of God and say, God, not on my watch. As long as there's breath in my lungs, I will live to proclaim the freedom and the hope and the power that comes through Jesus. And I will not sit back and let my nation go the way that it's going. We believe revival for California. We, we believe revival for Williamson County and Murray County. We believe revival for your families. And listen, this whole thing about satanic popularity, I'm telling you right now, the devil is revealing his hand. He's, he's making it so clear. These movies, it's just, it's the blueprint. The devil's just, now he's just showing you what he's gonna do. Here's entertainment. Here, and even, even people like Tyrese are saying, enough's enough. God's gonna raise up new voices new voices in Hollywood, in politics. He's going to raise up new voices and people are going to say, enough's enough. And church, you need to wake up because if there's a door that you've allowed open through what you watch, through what you play, and through what you hear, you need to close that door quickly. Don't come to me and say, my kids are having nightmares and dreams and are being tormented when you are opening those doors every night on your computer and your movies got to close those doors. And I'm telling you right now, God will give you power. He will bring angels to your home. He'll cleanse out your home. I, some of you know the story. We bought a home a couple homes ago, and we felt something sinister in one of the rooms. And I said, not on my watch. My kid was waking up with, ter with te tremors. And, and I said, uh-uh. And so we cast that thing out of the house and never came back again. You have the authority. So let me leave you with this. I hope you come back next week. God, that guy's intense, man. You need an intense time right now. You want me to teach on how this is your best life? Come a couple weeks later. I'll find somebody that can say that to you.
Watch Joel Osteen. Anyway, the point of all of it is, I like, Joel, no, I'm not going to talk about it. Psalms 11. Psalms 11. I'm going to leave you with Psalms here. Psalms 11 says this. In the Lord, I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to the mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They fitted their arrow to the string. They shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Pause for a moment. Something shifts in Psalms on verse 4. Look what it says. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but the, his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur, and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves the righteous deeds, and the upright shall behold his face. There is hope, church. There is hope. I hope you walk away from this message not discouraged, but hopeful. I hope you don't hear this as condemning, but this is hopeful to you that no matter where you're at, no matter what you're struggling with, no matter what you think your identity is, no matter how you're tormented, no matter what your past is, no matter what you've done, there is hope. And God is giving discernment to his church and wisdom to his church to rise above and be the example and the hope that we were called to be. Let us not miss another Jesus moment in this nation. Over these last few weeks, we've been talking about the spiritual gifts. And if you know that your spiritual gift, one of your top three or so is discernment, would you raise your hand if that's you today? Keep your hand up because here's what I want to do. I want to pray, Holy Spirit, that those people with their hands up would have another level of discernment. Donna, Tim, Tanya, Gloria, Norm, we need more people like you discerning the things of the Lord. And I, I don't know what it is, but how many remember the, the rabbit ears on the old TVs, right? How, how some of you old school, bear with me young people, you don't know what this is, but you actually had to move them around, put a little tinfoil on the end just so you can get that TV show you needed or that radio program. I believe the Lord is spiritually right now. I see a vision of he's moving the antennas of your discernment so you can hear clearer than ever before. What was staticky before will now be clarity. And for the rest of you that didn't have your hands up, put your hands up because I'm going to pray right now. Holy Spirit, every hand that's up, including mine, we need a new level of discernment right now. Show us how to be the church in a time where we desperately need your wisdom and your discernment to live in a cataclysmic kingdom. God, raise up sons and daughters of Issachar in this place today that they'll know the times and they'll know exactly what to do. And I just pray against distractions right now. The distractions that would separate you from the presence of the Lord. But you'll know his heart. You'll know his word. And you'll stay fixated on what he has planned for you today. Would you stand to your feet right now? Thank you so much for listening to this message. Southview Church is a non-denominational, multi-generational, multicultural community of believers passionately pursuing Jesus, family, freedom, and unity in the body of Christ. If you would like to connect with us, visit us at southview.cc and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.